0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in. I am Michele Matarazzo, and this is the June 2020 issue of the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. In this issue, we decided to focus on a very clinically relevant topic, such as advanced Parkinson's disease. In the last year, there is a lot of research interest in the very early stages of the disease and even the prodromal phase where you may have some motor or non-motor symptoms but not fulfill the criteria of Parkinson's. Early and prodromal PD have an obvious interest because those are the closest we can get to the initiation of the disease. And also there is a high interest in therapeutic possibilities to impact on disease progression. On the other hand, in our clinics, there are a lot of subjects with advanced disease and some of them may actually not even get to a movement disorder specialist care because the disease is so advanced that it gets difficult or too difficult for patients and caregivers to come to the hospitals. A recent article published on the Movement Disorder Clinical Practice, titled The Prevalence and Determinants of Neuropsychiatric Symptoms in Late-Stage Parkinsonism, tries to shed a new light on the advanced stages of Parkinsonism, and especially on neuropsychiatric complications. We have the pleasure to have with us Professor Annette Schrag from the Queen Square Institute of Neurology at the University College London in the United Kingdom, who is the senior author of this very relevant paper. She is also the Vice Chair of the No Motor Parkinson's Disease Study Group of the Movement Disorder Society. So thank you, Annette, to be with us today.
1: Thank you very much Michele. I'm really pleased to be here and talk about this uh, really relevant uh, subject.
0: So I already started with a brief introduction on the topic and how relevant it is, at least in my opinion. But let me start with a very basic question. Why do you think the late stage of the disease is important? And do you think we are doing the best we can to help patients in this stage of the disease?
1: Yes. So patients with Parkinson's disease, when they reach the later stages of the disease, often find it very difficult to come to our clinics and drop off our radar. And for this reason, we often do not really know so much about these patients and clearly they have great difficulties in participating in clinical studies as well due to their obvious disabilities. And therefore, they are very underrepresented in clinical papers. And we so far haven't really had a very good understanding of what their needs are and what the best care should be provided to them. Perfect.
0: So... How do you define late stage Parkinsonism?
1: So we uh, defined late stage uh, Parkinsonism a little bit different from advanced-stage uh, Parkinson's. So in our definition, late-stage Parkinson's patients are those who have become dependent on others. Whereas when people talk about advanced Parkinson's disease, this is often equated to those who are eligible for the advanced therapies. So for uh, DBS or ipomorphin or the intrathecal infusions. Patients with late-stage Parkinson's disease are often no longer eligible for these therapies. They may have had them in the past, but by and large, have often contraindications to these. Um, so these are patients who are typically in an in India stage four or five and have a Schwarwind England score of 50 or less. So have are dependent in at least half of uh, activities
0: on others so in summary late stage parkinsonism means people who have had the disease for a while and as you were saying due to the complications of the disease they have become dependent now do you want to share with our listeners what are the main results of your study
1: so this study is a study called Care of Late-Stage Parkinson's, or CLASP study, and this was a large European study conducted in six different countries and included almost 700 patients in these late stages. And as I said, these were all defined by a disease stage of Hönnendjahr stage 4 or 5 or a Schwab in England disability score 50 or less, and they had to have a disease duration of seven years or more. Because these patients are so difficult to reach, we tried very hard to not just recruit them from our clinics, but also went into nursing homes, in GP surgeries, and recruited them as widely as possible. And um, when we started analyzing the data uh, clearly, there was a great deal of morbidity both for motor features as well as for large variety of non-motor features and very high carer burden. But one of the things that we were particularly interested in were the uh, neuropsychiatric features in these patients because we know that these are of great importance to their quality of life, also important for carer burden, and they are amongst the main determinants for admission to nursing homes. So we decided to look at those features in a little bit more detail. We also found out the prevalence of motor features, so a very high risk of falls and other motor features, and clearly also other non-motor features. But in terms of neuropsychiatric features, the median of a number of non-motor features was three per patient and in terms of clinically relevant non-motor features, uh, the median was two per patient. So very common and uh, very clinically relevant. Amongst the psychiatric features, the most common ones were depression, anxiety and apathy. Um, the other thing we looked at is what the determinants or the predictors of these neuropsychiatric features. And clearly, uh, these are quite varied, but it was very clear that those who do have many neuropsychiatric features are also at very high risk of having other neuropsychiatric features. And that is despite the fact that many of these patients were on treatment. So we had quite a high rate of uh, patients who were on clozapine, approximately 10%, uh, and also treatment with anti-dementia medications.
0: Great. So I I actually had a look at the results, and uh, I found really interesting that, as you were saying, normally a patient has more than one neuropsychiatric symptom. And as you highlight in the paper, uh, the main predictor of having a neuropsychiatric symptom is to have another one. And uh, mm-hmm. it was also interesting to me that the most frequent was the depression, as you were saying, but the apathy was the most frequently clinically relevant, which is something that we do see in the clinic and probably also reflects the fact that we do not have any any specific treatment that we know works well for apathy, while we do have few options for uh, depression and anxiety, for example. So how much do you think all of these symptoms affect the quality of life in this late stage of the disease? And how much do you think it also contributes to the burden of the caregivers?
1: Yeah, so we looked at that as well. And as in, in the overall group of patients with Parkinson's disease, depression is one of the key determinants. Of quality of life and that, that is still seen in at this, this disease stage. So over 30% of patients at this stage, despite the fact that they were treated, had clinically relevant uh, depression and it was the key determinant of their quality of life. So that is something that remains uh, relatively undertreated. Of course, there is the the problem that medications, psychotropic medications, need to be uh, used with caution in this patient group because of the risk of side effects as these patients are very susceptible to uh, a range of medication side effects. Nevertheless, uh, this is something that is often probably also quite difficult to recognize in in a patient who is uh, severely disabled, has difficulty communicating. So it is something to pay particular attention to. Anxiety is another common problem, and that is something that we're only starting to really recognize and address properly. We don't have a lot of information on the best treatments for anxiety in, in Parkinson's in this severely disabled group. And then... Uh, clearly, uh, delusions and hallucinations are another key factor, which was more of a predictor for the carer burden than any of the other neuropsychiatric features. And similarly, apathy is something that uh, is an issue for for carers. Uh, and this instrument that we used in the study, the Neuropsychiatric Inventory, is carer administered, so it is something that is uh, was recognised by carers and and poses a significant problem for carers.
0: Well, thank you. I think you really helped having a better idea of what the disease is at this stage. And as we were saying at the beginning, this is part of a wider project called the Care of Late-Stage Parkinsonism Study. Now, what are the next steps and the future aims of this project? And what do you think are the main unmet needs to improve the care of these subjects?
1: So... Clearly, the most important thing is that we develop better treatment or management options for the identified problems. And these could be pharmacological, but also non-pharmacological. I think the whole area of palliative care in the, in the wider sense is very important to look at the range of motor, non-motor, neuropsychiatric features at this uh, stage, rather than we focus on the motor problems more than anything, and recognizing the neuropsychiatric features. In terms of pharmacological options, there are still deficits in knowing what the best treatment is. You mentioned apathy. Uh, There is no really good evidence for treatment of apathy in parkinson's and given that it's such a common and disabling problem this is really an urgent need to be addressed uh, depression as i've mentioned and anxiety but clearly also the treatment of uh, delusions and hallucinations there are new developments i mentioned clozapine and the uh, dementia uh, medications there's also pimavanserin which we didn't have access to in this study because it's not uh, wasn't available in europe and then are also impulse control disorders, because we did find in the study that uh, 16.5% of patients did have impulse control disorders, even though the uh, doses of dopaminergic medications weren't incredibly high. So it is something that is also probably under-recognized and under-treated.
0: So we really need to focus more on this uh, stage of the disease to keep learning more and probably to keep doing some clinical trials to see whether we can help these patients, even in the late stage of the disease. I also really liked what you were saying about this integrated care of of the disease, which doesn't mean only the pharmacological approach, but also uh, other non-pharmacological approaches, which may be as important as uh, drugs, especially later on in the disease. So is there Absolutely. anything else that you want to share with our listeners or any suggestion that you want to give to our audience?
1: So the other thing that was quite striking in this in this group of patients is that clearly uh, the model of care that we provide in, in many countries or in many places uh, of having our neurology centers and asking patients to attend our clinics is very difficult and not really suited to this population. Um, and developing new models of care where we can reach out to patients, and I know that everyone is working remotely now, there may be opportunities to bring care to patients rather than the other way around, which may allow us to address their needs more comprehensively.
0: Great. Well, again, we've been talking to Annette Schrag from the Queen Square Institute of Neurology in London about the paper, The Prevalence and determinants of Neuropsychiatric Symptoms in Late-Stage Parkinsonism. Annette, thank you again for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Please check out the article online on the website of the journal, and I really recommend you to read the entire paper and the supplementary material along with other articles of the Movement Disorder Clinical Practice and the Movement Disorder Journal. Thank you all for listening.